Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Good evening, everybody. It is a tad after eight o'clock, a British summer time. I think everybody's changed their clocks now. Uh, so for some of you in Australia, that puts you a little bit um, too early in the morning. So I know many of you will be listening on the uh, archive uh, later on. This is Midweek Motorsport Series 16, episode 14 this week. I had to check that there as we are on April the 7th, uh, a dark day in motorsport terms. The day that Jim Clark lost his race, uh, lost his life, of course, in that F2 uh, race in Germany all those years ago. And though I was only a wee nipper, I do remember the effect it had on my mum and dad when they heard that on the radio. Uh, particular thoughts for somebody who I know quite well and haven't spoken to for a while. Uh, dear Beatty Sims, today. Um, my thoughts are with him. If you know the story, you will know why. Uh, on a packed programme tonight, Tim Gray, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. Excellent. Uh, we'll be joined later on by Nick Damon. We'll be joined by Declan Brennan. Uh, we have features I'm bringing back that we only do occasionally and haven't done at all this year yet, so uh, you'll look forward to that. Uh, we've got a big interview with Nick Tandy. Uh, yes, hopefully and, uh, the technology will work. It will. We've talked right. to Nick before. We know it works. Okay. Uh, and uh, lots of other fun and frivolity. Fr- fun and frivolity? Yeah. Okay. At Specutainment, if you would like to get in touch with us, hello to the team at JTR. Uh, I know that they will be tuned in whatever they're doing. Um, 15th year in motorsport in the UK for them this year, five years in the Carrera Cup and a better set of people you would struggle to find in any motorsport paddock uh, around the world. Paul and the rest of the guys, hope you are well this evening. Uh, Right Turn Lover catching up on the podcast, Uh, apologies for absence this week. Uh, Hello to Marcel Tenkat, to Brody, Bolting Bits back on the Porsche tonight. Desperate to know what RC Racing thinks of Lewis the Spy. Ah, we will have Nick Damon with a bit of F1 news in the second hour of tonight's programme. Kevin Payne is listening live tonight. He says, I didn't watch any motorsport over the Easter weekend. Good to get the insights. Uh, wondering what the plans are for European Le Mans coverage, assuming it goes ahead. Awesome big coverage. Guest. There'll be some coverage and there'll be some racing, I suspect. And uh, that's all I'm prepared to commit to. Can we commit to the there being oh. some Johnny Palmer? Uh, we can definitely c- commit to be being some Johnny Palmer uh, on that as well. Hello to Yoda's uncle, 
to uh, Oliver Giles, who was signed up to compete at a 10K run in July and a 10K obstacle course in October to support raising awareness for breast cancer. Oliver, that is a brilliant and very worthy cause, and I hope the collective will support you in that. Hello to Sam Collins. Uh, We've been swapping a few uh, nostalgic tweets this week about uh, Japanese Super G tea. Uh, and to Greg Higgins, Gregory, uh, building up a Lego Porsche, which is far less soul-destroyed than trying to get his Merc going. And there's a very nice 924. Love the wheels, that, that crisscross wheel design on there in, uh, in Lizard Green in the background. Lizard Green on the Emerald Isle. How appropriate uh, is that? Matt Endine is saving the archive for the drive to the MOT centre with the rally car tomorrow. That's always scary time, isn't it? After a How mad far dash away is his up, MOT centre? Well, it, you, you could take it to anyone. You don't have to go to your nearest one. That's true. You, you want take to it find anywhere. somewhere that's about 100 miles away. <laughs> to give it a decent run, yes, and get the two hours in. Carol Brink, after a mad dash up and back, regular... Uh, services restored, tuning in from Artichoke Fields next to Thermal and by the beer. Uh, Mark Atkins, just finished a marathon 10,000 word translation into English of the Porsche Supplier Quality Manual, so I hope that's worth a mention tonight. Uh, Ich bin complete 30 is his um, hashtag there. I'm not sure that's quite right. Hello to Paul Ailing as well. Uh, who uh, is a new recruit to Endurance Racing and to the Listeners Collective. Nice to know that you are listening in tonight. RC Body Restoration and Midweek Motorsport Therapy tonight from Simon Hoff. Ooh, right, okay. Tamia Buggy. Uh, very nice. Very nice. Oh, must remind, write that down, Tim, because I must remind myself to talk to Nick Tandy tonight when we get him on about RC uh, definitely uh, definitely uh, needs a bit of TLC says Campbell Mackey looking at that picture from Simon alright uh, at Specutainment please at Specutainment it would be good to hear from you particularly want to have your thoughts on LMP2s being slowed down because LMTH uh, or LMH hypercars aren't fast enough um, your thoughts on that, please, is our talking point tonight at Specutainment. Meantime, Tim will shuffle his papers, which I suspect he's already done because he's very well organised, and he'll find the news jingle, and when I say he'll play the jingle, guess what? He'll play the jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. I'm going to start by pausing for reflection. The pause is coming in 3, 2, 1, 0. Now that may not seem like much of a pause, but it was actually 8 hundredths of a second, which is twice the uh, amount of time between the first and second placed bikes crossing the line at the end of an 18-lap Moto3 race. And here to talk about it is Declan Brennan. Good evening, Dex. Hello. How are you all? Well, we're good. We're very well. Very Can well. I ask a quick question about MOTing a rally car just before we start? Because <laughs> I, I'm, since since you did that intro, that's all I've been thinking about. And if you're taking your MO, rally car for an MOT and you get lost and you have to ask directions, do you get directions like, so it's 60 left, don't cut, 
uh, then K right over crest, uh, and then you're there. Mm. Is, is that how it works? Would you get disqualified for outside assistance there? Uh, yeah, uh, if it was me going to John's Mortars at um, uh, where, where I go just off the A5, it's a uh, 90 left into his uh, into his courtyard, immediate 90 left, <laughs> five yards, 90 right on the ramp, and, that, and, that, and then stop quickly. And then avuncular Tony Mason comes over and asks you uh, how you did after hitting that tree. How you did after having to, uh, because you wrong slotted and had to avoid the, um, the um, what do they call it, recyclable oil bin and uh, hit reverse. <laughs> and he'll have a flat cap on, of course, Tony Mason, when he asks, asks you that. Never seen without Obviously. one. Uh, we get back to Pedro Acosta. Uh, yes, we can. We not can. only we can get back to did Pedro. he win, but he won after starting from the pit lane, Declan. Which Dex has never been done before in any of the motor categories on the motor oh. GP weekend. And and let let's before we even get to that, we've got to say that that as a penalty for whatever and they were they were penalized there were seven riders that were penalized for faffing about I nearly said something else there. But for faffing about too slowly in um going on to the final qualifying laps and they were banged in the pit lane. Which on the face of it, he's kind of all right. You've got to start for the pit lane. But they held them for 10 seconds after everybody had gone past um, to the point where actually the BMW chase car forgot there was people in there and actually had to break. I don't know if you saw it on the coverage, but came teaming down the front straight. And then obviously somebody said, don't forget the seven in the pit lane. Whoops. Oh, sorry about that. Ooh, and, oh, boy. That could have been bad. Yes, exactly. And and then he he pulled three or four of that seven, another three or four of that seven, onto the back and eventually rode through in style that I can only describe as outstanding. Didn't push anybody, didn't elbow anybody, didn't put anybody off the track. His overtakes were decisive and brilliant. And this is, an, I mean, the thing is, it's good to know that this kid is a veteran and in his, oh no, hang on a second, second Motor GP, uh, Motor 3 race rather, uh, ever, at the grand old age of 16. He is coming off a second place. Uh, so, you know, 16-year-old in uh, uh, making his debut, finishes second, and everybody goes, wow, that's pretty impressive. Uh, wonder what he'll do to back that up. Oh, oh, oh what a shame. He's going to have to start from pit lane. He'll probably, you know, he might make the top 15 and score some points. Oh, no, no, he won. He won comfortably. Uh, we might want to remember that name. And let's go back a little bit. Yes, he won comfortably. But what he did in that victory, which kind of doesn't get overlooked, but, but certainly hasn't been talked about uh, enough, I think, is he was able to get to the front. Yes, the, the, the leading pack slowed each other down because they were all slicing and dicing the whole time. It was magnificent to watch. So he was able to pull back, but he would still have to have used a fair amount of tyre uh, in the process of, of getting back mm. to the lead pack. But as soon as he got onto the lead pack, he just went to the front and drove with a, such a calm head and with such racecraft and patience. And he just, he did everything right. And it was, I'm not saying it was easy, but it was, looked quite easy at the end. And what Red Bull have in their hands with him and the rest of their 
their uh, their junior riders is absolutely astonishing and it speaks volumes for both the Red Bull Rookie Cup and the CEV Moto3 Junior World Championships because that's where he's come from. He is a graduate of both having done the Rookies Cup and Moto3 Junior World Championship in the same year. He won the Rookies Cup and was third in the in the CEV Championship. But to to be basically the complete finished article as it which which is what it looks like uh, as a 16-year-old is astonishing. And I'm going to make a prediction now about him. And we've seen this before. We saw it with Fanati and we saw it arguably when Chan Onchu won on his debut, but that was in mixed conditions of Valencia. Uh, but I'm going to make a, a bold prediction here. Uh, I know Nick likes a bold prediction. He's a teenager. He will be in MotoGP before he's 20. Yes. Yes, I agree. Um, his riding style is extraordinary. Um, yes. He's super, super smooth. Uh, and I I hope that now, I, I, when in the next hour, um, we, we get Nick's busy the first hour, so we'll we'll do more, three or more or two here with you, Dex, if you don't mind. Yes. And if you don't mind coming back, we'll talk about we'll we'll talk about Johan Zarko and his return to form and his reinventing of himself. You've got to be so careful with these young riders um, that you don't that they don't you know burn so bright they burn themselves out because that's what nearly happened. It did happen in some respects to Zarko two Moto two championships and then it all went wrong for him. And I, I don't want that to happen to this young man that he gets pushed on too early. Jeremy's very fond of seeing in in a motor racing and four wheel motor racing you've got to earn your, your spurs you've got to do your apprenticeship and I still think that's true, don't you? I do, I do, but I also, I think maybe uh, we've got to give this a little bit more time before we can go down, we can all jump onto the hyperbole train to the to the point that I'm probably going to, but uh, we, we have to give it a little bit more time. Certainly, let's, let's get into some of the European races and we'll see, but if this progression continues, and say, for example, he was to win the Moto3 title as a 16-year-old in his rookie season, we know... Uh, Moto2 to some extent is effectively for some talents is just there to build up muscle strength and to get used to a larger bike uh, I could see him doing a single year in Moto2 and then going being put up as an 18 year old into, into MotoGP and I fully fully understand your, uh, your point and my thought is uh, there's so much talent in the queue already at Red, within Red Bull, uh, and particularly, obviously, that, that means with KTM, with four bikes, that if they if they kind of put him, put him in a golden handcuff, in golden handcuffs and sit on him, sit on him for a little bit, I think they, they are in a position where they can manage him the way they want to. Uh, you know, they, they, they can ring fence him now and say, yeah, he's going to be with us in MotoGP. So let's uh, give him as much time as he needs to breathe in Moto, Moto3. If he doesn't win the championship this year, that's fine. We'll give him another year and then go into Moto3. Like, so there's, I, you get the impression that they are an organization who will manage him correctly. And we've talked about it before. I know at the, the stark difference between the four-wheeled uh, Red Bull academy effectively and the two-wheeled it's it's and i feel that he's in exactly the right place to grow and if he wins fast 
Who knows? But and I think he will. But he is he will be developed at exactly the right pace. Aki Io is really really smart, and he's he's a really really good manager of riders. I think, uh, and I, I what I would do is I would put him. If I would, if I'm KTM and Red Bull, I would put him at some stage in the near future, in a couple of years, probably into into Tech Trois, uh, and and we'll see how he does in the effectively in the junior program. But I think he is going to be fast track, John. I I sometimes riders are just are just there the whole thing, and and it, it kind of looks like he is. And I might be wrong, but look, at, it didn't harm Kimi Räikkönen to go from from for, from Formula Renault to to F1, did it? Yeah. No, well, no, but he's the exception rather than the rule, isn't it? Uh, well, this is this is the sort of talent we're talking about, isn't it? Isn't this poten- not not for sure, but this is potentially the type of talent we're talking about. We're talking about a a, a potential world champion in the making. Oh, well, he's actually at this point was made over the weekend. He's actually done better in his early races in. Um, in, in the Mortal Three category, than Mark Marquez did by yes. by quite a long way, and 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 look at how revered Marquez is now. But I, I will sound, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I will sound a word of warning. He has I, I I say again, I think he has to be very carefully. And I, you've made a good point about his team, and particularly his team owner. I think he has to be very carefully looked after. Um. Uh. Uh. uh by the team so that they don't push him on too far. And yeah, and, but, and I think that team, that's the right that is the right management in that team to do that. I'll agree absolutely. with you. Absolutely. It is, but but also the, you know what I feel really sorry for and this sounds and this is this is a, a just one of the unintended consequences of things like this is that some of the guys who are who are kind of thinking like they're they're potentially going to uh uh, you know, uh, progress uh, from this graduating crop are going to be looked at completely differently. Like his, uh, like another Red Bull, 17-year-old Red Bull kid in, in uh, Dennis Onchu. Dennis Onchu was in that group who left the pit lane with him, effectively one of his teammates. Dennis Onchu uh, was 23rd in that race, 24th. You know, he, this is his second year. He's kind of a similar graduating class. Didn't Literally didn't make, didn't get into the points this kid a year younger than him won the race and it suddenly makes a lot of it changes the uh the prism through which we are viewing new talent when something that's like very this comes true. along yeah and it's a and that's that can be quite worrying actually and john what it does say is it speaks so much volume it speaks volumes for the for the red bull rookies cup uh the sev the cv championship the the all of the, the Asian Talent Cup, the British Talent Cup, these these are the places where you cut your teeth, and it's it kind of reminds me of. I know we've talked about it with with uh, sports cars that if you want to make it in GT racing, where's the one place you should go to get spotted? It's probably the Porsche Super Cup. Yes, yes, uh, and uh, and by extension the National Super Cup, the National uh, Carrera Cups, and this is kind of the same thing. It's it is it is an absolute proven uh, ladder system, but the difference is, and Tim, I'd love your opinion because I don't know anything anymore about <laughs> F two and F three, so I don't know. But it does feel like if you win in the lower category, it is almost inevitable in on two wheels that you're going to get a shot at, at the higher level, if not the highest level. 
And is that the same? It's not the same in in with with, with the Grand Prix support series, is it? I think or it is, is it? more so now because uh, they're all on the all on that package from academy. and they're all on the academy drivers onwards. So these drivers have been picked up by teams often in Formula Four. Um, if you look at uh, someone like Oscar Piastri, um, Formula Three champion last year, he's already won a race in Formula Two. Um, he'll probably be in Formula One in 2023. Right. Interesting. I, I, I think also, though, Dex, in that sense, at that level, the uh, the academy system that so many of the manufacturers have uh, started working on from Formula One back down over, I think that's made a huge difference. And, and it's only what, I mean, let's be honest, it's only what Porsche have done for years in terms of their young driver support yes. scheme and, and other manufacturers have jumped in on that as well Lamborghini's done it um, uh, BMW have done it in both uh, tin tops and uh, GTs and single seaters when they used to have Formula BMW BMW done it on bikes oh that's a good not really point. They didn't no they... they haven't really no I, but you know what's interesting about, about these programs as well though is what they seem to be doing is they seem to be generating talent that is not only, and to back to Jeremy's point, and I know the point that Jeremy's made millions of times is that uh, all you want from a rider really is speed because you can kind of teach everything else. Because the one thing you can't really teach is raw, natural speed. Mm. But the driver, the riders that seem to be graduating, and, and again, we're talking about 16 and 17 and younger, seem to be fast, smart, uh mature it's it's kind of frightening is that and and it's at a point now where you don't even have the room to grow it's it's there's so much talent that if you're some of that at 16 or 17 if you're not all of that you're going to disappear you know you almost have to be the complete package uh, as a as a a kid now because and it, they, they, it's like they're being born fully formed. Like it's nuts. <laughs> like he started in 2018 in 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 the Moto Three as a what would that make him? He was a 13 year old. Yeah. You know, and and it, that's so you have to you're being to make it in this career. You have to be as as soon as you're in your teens. You, you're basically racing at a, a level one step below the uh, first rung of Grand Prix racing in Moto3 because the CEV Moto3 Junior World Championship is effectively one step below Moto3. So mm. I was a, he was racing in that as a 13-year-old. Mm. That is absolutely, for me, almost incomprehensible considering what I was doing day in, day out as a 13-year-old. Yes. And... <laughs> uh, but... Uh, and, and John, to... To more broadly talk about the the Red Bull program, if you look at what Raul Fernandez did in in Moto Two and as continuing to do, in, and what Remy Gardner is doing, and what Jamo Massey is doing in Moto Three, and you realise they have four riders at the very least, if not more, who are absolutely going to make it. Yeah, uh, I, I don't disagree. Don't disagree with that. Hello, to Sarah Rigby at Specutainment, and don't forget we want uh, your thoughts on slowing down LMP2. That's happened since the last time out. But let's move on as we've got Dex with us. Uh, uh, to uh, let's move on to John McPhee. Uh, do you want to oh. do McPhee first? Uh, yes, uh, I or do. Alex Laws first. McPhee. Um, McPhee lost his rag a bit at the weekend. I think it's fair to say. 
Yeah, which he never does. In, in Moto3, again, we should say. He's a really calm... For a Scotsman, he's not fiery. He's 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 always been known for like a, a, to be calm and 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 collected. And for those of you who didn't see it, basically uh, uh, across the start line, uh, it, uh, part of the leading group, uh, there was a, 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 a inevitable coming together in the braking area, and we uh, Jeremy Alcoba ended up. For want of a better word, rolling the bike, uh, 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 going uh, front over over rear, nicely, nicely done, yes, yeah, and he it hit that hit McPhee in the head, uh, and they they both got knocked off. This is the second week in a row. Uh, in in brief terms, McPhee is under massive pressure to win or at least be absolutely Correct. ultra competitive this year for Patronus Sprinter. Uh, his career probably depends on it. He didn't get any points uh, from an accident that wasn't his fault the previous week. Same thing happened again. And he went mental and yeah. attacked uh, uh, Alcoba. Uh, There's uh, been a bit of history between those two to... before. He's not, yes. he's, he's not happy. But that is, I'm afraid, uh, uh, there was some of it as well in uh, in another category as well, which we'll get to. Later on, it's not acceptable. He was very quick to make sure he went down and spoke to Alcoa um, personally. He's made a full apology on all sorts of social media. Um, I think he's going to feel even worse about it before he feels better. Um, Having a chat on the Listener's Collective on Facebook with a number of people about this... um, it's not acceptable, Dex. No, you can't have this happen at the city. John. I, I don't think it is, mate. I don't think I, I don't think it is because retaliation is always, you know, almost worse, isn't it, than the original no, I, I, offense? I just feel, feel he's under so much pressure and to have lost another another uh, another point scoring opportunity. And let's put it this way: in simple terms. He's going to start from pit lane with 10 further seconds. So he's going to be starting behind the pace car based on the logic yeah. of earlier on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he has almost no chance of, of getting any points. So he's going to leave Portimao probably with no points. Uh, just Three uh, rounds gone with no points. As, just as a counterpoint to, to all of this, I, I was watching the Tour of Flanders at the weekend, uh, one of the great single-day cycling events, and they put on a fabulous, fabulous show. And I watched the whole lot from rollout to the very end on Sunday. And there was an incident in that with about uh, 120k still to go, where a rider tried to break away uh, from the peloton and go after the leading group. who were 11 minutes up the road. And somebody followed him and he brake tested him. He didn't like him on his back wheel. So he just, he, he only flicked the brake, but that's all you have to do. And the other rider had to sit up. And then the second rider swerved back towards him to intimidate him with his elbows out. Now, all the peloton hated the first guy who had brake tested because, you know, travelling at 45, 50 k's, whatever it is in the peloton, um, somebody goes down, it's a nasty accident. And they were all pointing fingers and they both got thrown out. And I thought rightly so for that. Uh, It's not, you can't have it happen. Um, Hopefully, John... Has, has learned his lesson. I don't think it was a lesson he needed to learn. I think he'll just look back and say, I need to get past that and move on. And hopefully he's made his peace with everybody and we will move on. And we'll move on too because uh, it was another phenomenal display in 
uh, Moto2, somewhat different from the dominating fashion that Alex uh, Laws had uh, last weekend. He had to do it in a different way. Everybody had caught up, but he gets the main points, Dex. He was he was magnificent. And was it a better so win was... than last week? Yeah, it was, and so was Remy. I thought... Uh, Remy Gardner, just... was he's very good. I'm impressed. He... Lowe's did that thing that... that, that uh... Jackie Stewart would uh, would be praising him to the skies for he for the most part he was uh, he was leading at the slowest possible speed because at the end he had something in reserve and at the end when he needed to when the pressure was being applied he pushed and ran his with two laps to go ran his fastest late race lap which forced Remy Gardner then to run to then run a fastest race lap to keep up with him and. Josie had enough for him at the end, and it was wonderful cat and mouse and a really, really fantastic display. Ironically, in a junior category by a fella pushing 30, mm-hmm. who uh, who might be riding himself back into MotoGP, mm. uh, as hard as that is to do uh, as a 30-year-old. But if he keeps going the way he's going and basically continuing on from where he left off last year, uh, I could see him winning Does, the title. Doesn't he? I mean, but doesn't Sam look just fabulously happy? I mean, that's the thing I noticed. Dex, stay with us. Uh, yeah. Um, we've got some breaking sports car news, IMSA related to come in a moment. We've got the first tranche of your tweets on slowing down LMP2s in WEC to account for the lack of pace of the LMH cars. Uh, but first of all, let's do a bit of off Road WRC. Tim, what do you have? Uh, all three of the current WRC manufacturers, that's Hyundai, M Sport, Ford and Toyota, have committed to remaining in the championship for a further three seasons uh, in order to maintain sp- stability in the championship, the FIA. That the moves into the new regs, doesn't it? That is all new reg hybrid cars with uh, batteries and internal combustion engines. Uh, and previously they only uh, committed to the championship on a rolling one-year basis. So now they've uh, they've said that they will all be in for 2022, 2023 and 2024. Right. And, and the that, next uh, it, rally, by the way, is uh, in Zagreb in Croatia on the 22nd of April. And, and does that mean that Ford are going to go back to having a factory team um, rather than uh, M-Sport effectively running privateers? No, it is M-Sport. Right, so they're going to are Ford going to develop the cars, or at least pay to have the cars developed, or at M Sport have to find the money. I'd imagine M Sport will, as they right. currently do. It's M Sport that is committed to uh, entering the Fords. Hmm. Um, and whilst we're talking about Fords and about M Sport, um, can we just have a, a little thought uh, for uh, David Sutton? who uh, has died at age 81, the man that masterminded Ari Vatnan's 1981 FIA World Rally Championship title. Uh, driver, to start with, but undoubtedly you'd be best mem- remembered for running a private team that took on and beat the best rally cars in the world. Uh, Audi Quattro as well, of course, in 1981 with David Richardson uh, is the co-driver with Ari Vatnan. Um, but going back further than that, uh, I think everybody of a certain age, and Dex and I are certainly in there, um, remember the WRC effectively in those days with the Ford Escorts, RS1800s. Oh, uh, first yes. private team to win the world title that stood all the way 
till when? 2006, when effectively Loeb won with Kronos. Um, oh, just for those cars, absolutely phenomenal. And part of, again, part of our motorsport upbringing, Dex. And they were cars, of course. And the reason he was able to do that was because, uh, partially because of the rules, partially because mm-hmm. effectively uh, they were, it was so generally easy to 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 develop uh, the car as a privateer of those cars and and uh, and to drive them and if you had the right driver uh, you could beat the works teams which uh, uh, if correctly if we're wrong did Roger Clark in 76 beat the works teams on the RAC yeah. in a in a private escort so it's it's always been possible to do but yeah it's still quite quite defeat to do it uh, across the whole of a season and win the world championship. Uh, I, I mean, everybody remember the Fords. I also remember uh, Audi UK uh, running the uh, Hanu Mikulas, Dick Blancfist, Michel Mouton uh, in the, when the British Championship was fantastic. Um, and remarkably, people probably forget this. Um, Martin Raw won the production car world title with Sutton Motorsport in a Group N Subaru Impreza. Uh, in 2003, uh, I was fortunate to meet him uh, a couple of times. And all I remember is a man who had a smile on his face because he just loved being part of the scene, um, even long after he had gone through. Um, Dex- he was forward almost his entire... like uh, Up uh, until uh, that Audi from 81 onwards, was, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, even then he went back, didn't he? He have, he have uh, uh, the, the Sierra Cosworths as well were... were were prepared by him. I know Russell Brooks, Sierra Cosworth. I'm pretty pretty sure was. Mm. Uh, it, it's a yeah. It is. It's a, it's a remarkable. He's he is an indelible indelible uh, uh, mark, or he's left an indelible mark on on British rallying for people of a certain age. Yeah, absolutely. And world rallying. And world rallying. Yes, he took on the best. Dex, stay with us for for a moment. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. We've just gone through the first half hour. Uh, Nick will be with us in the second hour. In fact, we'll have two Nicks. Nick, Nick. Um, Nick Tandy joining us just after nine o'clock. We will not uh, let them talk to, to each other. Otherwise, no, this no. will go off on a whole radio-controlled uh, tangent that we do not have time for. I will. I, I, I promised I will mention. There's a really great... I, I have to mention. Anyway, just As well, long let's, as let's, Nick doesn't talk to Nick about it. No, no, it. okay, no, that, that's fine. Um, Eve uh, has set it all up, so and she's given me the word that he's going to be ready just after nine o'clock, so that will be uh, fine uh, before we've got some breaking calendar news the first tranche of tweets on LMP2 ah yes the slowing of LMP2 I was having my dinner with my bubble and ranted at the pool lad for five minutes straight says Serafina I thought that said the pool lad when I first read that Serafina we'll discuss this in more detail in our number two Guflamon says my comments on the decision to slow down LMP2 is unprintable and best confined to my shed presumably um, that is has got a bit of soundproofing uh, in there as well. LMP2 is being slow. Does that create a knock-on effect for other classes, GTE, uh, etc., to be slowed, or is there still enough gap in lap times? Only WEC or LMS also, says Blue Fiend. Mm. My initial response, bad call. Surely it would be better to give LMDH and Hypercar more performance rather than disadvantage the LMP2 teams have been supporting our sport. Problem is that the LMP2 DH and hypercars are so he- well, hypercars in particular, so heavy that I think they're worried about top speeds at places at Le Mans and the, the safety 
implications uh, of that. Jules Hattie Bridge mentions rare night off work, currently working through a mountain of flat pack furniture. Just check that I can drive to Barnard Castle for an MMOT. It's within the 100 miles. Just I'll book in for spec savers while I'm there. Keep coming, please, uh, on at Specutainment. Uh, now, as promised, breaking calendar news. Tim Gray, you do like a bit of calendar news. I do, and this is a double helping of calendar news because uh, it's come from two different sources uh, individually. Uh, so earlier on this afternoon, we heard that the Porsche Carrera Cup North America brand new championship, which uh, we saw at Sebring last week, brilliant. Uh, last, it wasn't last weekend; it was two weekends ago. Uh, will not be going to Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, and instead yep. will be going to the Circuit of the Americas on May the second. Yeah, uh, and uh, that. Uh, so, what event is that sharing with? Is that a IndyCar event? No. SRO event? SRO America event? It's the, it's the same weekend as the WAC's meant to start at Spa. It is a GT World Challenge America. Oh, there you go. Uh, and also so, okay. there is yeah. the Porsche Sprint Challenge North America. All right, okay, so there's going to be a couple of races. Porsche um, Cup hasn't been to... Oh, I think we did one there when IMSA were there. Ages ago, still the cup, of course, and it ra- there was one of them that raced into the evening that Jeremy and I did, which was brilliant because the sun sort of just about went down and it was in the gloaming. Remember that both brilliant. of uh, the Porsche Super Cup, of course, has supported Formula One at uh, Circuit of the Americas. True. Yes. Good point. Yeah. Uh, however, however, that's not the real story about Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. It's just a bit that was released this afternoon, and in the last mm. hour, uh, they've announced that. None of the IMSA championships will be racing at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park this summer. And instead, they will have an extra weekend at Watkins Glen. I say weekend, they're having an extra Friday at Watkins Glen. Just one day? Well, they're there all week, remember, because they were going to uh, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park the weekend after Watkins Glen. And they're just staying at Watkins Glen. Right. Uh, but it's only a one-day meeting, is it? You said they're only having an extra Friday. They're, they're only there racing Saturday, on the Friday. Oh, They'll wow. obviously be qualifying and practice on yeah. weekdays. It's effectively uh, a 10-day meeting at Watkins Glen. In fact, Thursday right. is definitely all the practice and qualifying. And, and, and what series are going to be there? So because obviously the... we know that Mazda and Porsche had already made their own yes. um, arrangements. So the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship will have a two-hour, 40-minute race, the WeatherTech 240 at the Glen, and that will start at 6 p.m. Oh, so on that's a, Friday evening. Sorry. So that is, that's, that is a direct replacement for CTMP. Rather, yeah. I'm, I'm now looking at the logo, which obviously that's the 4th of July weekend, um, and with the Stars and Stripes in the American Eagle, the WeatherTech 240, um, which I got very excited about thinking that was going to be a 240-minute race, but it's two, it should be two colon 40, um, in fact, for that. Okay. Uh, Mission Pilot Challenge will have a two-hour race. Standard. So this is absolutely taking what would have happened at CTMP and transplanting it on into WGI, okay? Yep. Uh, okay. And that's going to be on Friday afternoon. Right. And there's also the IMSA Prototype Challenge, which is now in 45 minutes, which is their standard length as well, and that's going to be on Friday morning. Right, so and that's it. 
practice and qualifying for all three series are on the Thursday. Now I need to talk about what is racing in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship race because obviously it's a multi-class series. DPI, LMP2, LMP3, GTLM and GTD will all be there and the GTD race will count only towards the WeatherTech Sprint Cup points. Yeah, yeah. Which I believe I, I is think... what was going to happen at Canadian well, Time Motorsport Park anyway. I think that's right. Yeah, I think that is right. Um, Michelin pilots moves. Dex putting putting your um, four wheeled hat on at the moment. Can you have a four wheeled hat? Um, how many hats? How many hats? <laughs> how many wheels? Um, and looking at that from uh, gradient racing point of view, from Rebel Rocks point of view, both will uh, potentially be. Uh, in in action there, uh, there was always going to be a massive question mark over the uh, Canadian Time Motorsport Sport event. Not literally, obviously, not just hanging in the air there, um, casting a shadow. Uh, um, Ontario's now gone into full lockdown, um, from what I've been reading. So perhaps this wasn't the cancellation of that. Um, tagging it onto somebody you somewhere you already are is that the most elegant solution here? I think in some respects, it'll be very welcomed. I don't know if it's the most elegant solution, but it will be welcomed in uh, in some respects because there are, for the vast majority of the teams are from the United States and just the the, the, the general uh, issues with international border crossings uh, will be, uh, in some respects, I think will be welcomed uh, for not having to do that. The... Uh, even in chat raises a very good point that I hadn't given any thought to, but it is that the weekend is 4th of July weekend, effectively racing. I think they're racing on the Friday to give people the, the chance uh, to be home with their families for the Sunday. Yes, effectively for the Sunday, which yeah. is wonderful, but it does mean we're, we're in the, in quite in the middle of uh, what would be uh, peak time for, for vacationing. So accommodation, around that area is is sparse at best so this could be a little bit troublesome i think uh there's probably a lot of team managers on phones right now trying to find places for uh for their and and the point the point that you made there when you said originally that's effectively a 10-day meeting now there's no point in trying to go home between times um you know some people, you'll leave the kit there, you'll leave everybody there, and I suppose uh, there, are, there are some cost implications about potentially staying over. If you're a, um, if, if you're a Mission Pilot Challenge team and your first race is on Saturday of the first weekend, which is the four-hour race, the second of the long races, um, yeah. and you're not back till the next Wednesday or Thursday, do you stay or do you go home? Very good, very good point. I wonder whether there uh, might be point. some uh, open testing uh, being done on it's the Monday just extra and Tuesday. Cost that, though, isn't it? Extra cost, yeah. Especially, I don't think anybody's necessarily going to want to add considerable. After you've just done their... a four-hour race as well, I suppose what you might do is stay there, refettle the cars at the site as much as you can. And John, that's all used to be what a lot of people would do. So, mm. uh, in some respects, it doesn't change. Some parts of the characteristics of that meeting at the Glen don't change because, yes, they would stay in their garages 
to refettle cars. That's absolutely the case. Yeah. So uh, it, it, but you're right. It does change things. Uh, I, I'd imagine a lot of people will stay on, uh, uh, but I think it, it's hard to tell. I, I wish it could be more definitive. I, I know for one. Uh, I'll be driving back and forth there from it, which is a five-hour drive. So I'll be doing that drive four times in the space of 10 days because I, I think it's an event I'll probably go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it is, uh, yeah, it's... And John, you know that the, the interesting part that, that you kind of... Uh, you, with the GT uh, teams, I beg your pardon, all the uh, WeatherTech teams that are competing in the six-hour, that gives you... Uh, a lot more work to do. You've got a yes. lot more fettling. These are long races. It would almost have been better to swap the weekends around and do the standard length race first and then the yeah. longer race second. Because, you know, for Michelin Pilot Challenge, I understand why you're not going to do that, but um, the Michelin Pilot Challenge, that is the longest race of the year, joint longest race with the first one of the season at, at Daytona. Um and for the WeatherTech teams, it's a six-hour race. That's a quick yeah. racetrack. And there will have to be some rebuilding going on that you, most teams won't be able to get back to the shop and turn around in time. No. No, you certainly... Uh, and I know this will be the case whether you're going to Canada or not, but it's certainly not a track where you want to do any substantial damage to your no. car True. Uh, with, with a short turnaround. Now, but, having said that, you've just made a good point. It would have been CTMP the following weekend. So anybody who was going to that would have to have fettled the cars either before they left Watkins Glen or as soon as they got to CTMP. And I've seen that happen before, people yeah, pulling out. Absolutely. And when I've been driving up the road, I've been in convoy. I normally go around the eastern side of the lake because we stayed, used to stay at Peterborough. And so I'd go around the eastern side, be a whole load of trailers, including some of the IMSA trailers going that way. And they would get the track set up as quick as they could on the Sunday or the Monday, uh, depending on, on when they got out of WGI, and start fettling the cars for the weekend's action. All right, we'll keep an eye on that. So that is a second Watkins Glen event for IMSA. Uh, for f- uh, race day Friday, July the 2nd. So no CTMP, Friday, July the 2nd for WeatherTech, for Michelin Pilot Challenge and for the IMSA Prototype Challenge. Dex, we're going to let you go and take a breath for a second. We'll uh, have you back in about uh, half an hour, 40 minutes or so uh, when we're talking a bit more bikes. Thanks, Bye. Dex. Cheers, mate. Declan Brennan joining us there from the... East Coast of the USA. Are we staying on sports cars now, Tim? We are, and in fact, we have some more calendar news in a moment. But I'm just going to oh. stick with uh, go off on a uh, side story here, which no, is no, no uh, time for that. You a, told me well, this is an IMSA side story, so <laughs> okay, contractual obligation and all that. Lime Rock Park <laughs> is under new ownership. It's sort of yes. Uh, Skip yes. Barber has owned it outright for 37 years, and yep. now he's a significant owner in a new company called Lime Rock Group LLC. Mm. So who's the other part? Uh, Charles Mallory, Dickie Regal and Bill Rukert. Okay. Dickie Regal is the former president and CEO of Airstream and currently uh, chief operating officer of Thor Industries. He'll be the new CEO of Lime Rock Park. Mm-hmm. I know Good. very little about the other two. Right. 
Okey doke. Uh, at Speculatement, uh, keep those comments about uh, LMP2. We'll try and get some of that talked about in hour two when uh, Nick Damon uh, gets onto the show. Uh, Shay Adam has offered her apologies for options. She's uh, busy at what used to be Miller Motorsport Park. Is it still called Miller Motorsport Park? No, it's Park? the Utah Motorsport Campus now. Oh, yes, that's right. Absolutely. She's, uh, she's busy over there today uh but we'll get her on the show next week uh moving on i promised more calendar news and this is less calendar news and more schedule news because the timetable for le mans has been released well sort of it hasn't really there's not really a timetable the highlights of the timetable for le mans have have been released Uh, the key points are free practice, which last year was at 10am on a Thursday morning, which was fairly yep. unpopular, uh, is now going to be on Wednesday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So going back to a more traditional time. Very traditional. Mm-hmm. Ipepul, which yep. was at 11.30 on Friday morning last year, is now going yep. to be on Thursday at 9pm. Which is where it was meant to be last year. Yeah. The yep. race start is at 4pm Again, very Remember traditional. Remember last year they had to make it early because of, darkness. I was going to say hours of darkness, but it's a 24-hour race. You get the same number of hours of darkness regardless when it, you start. It was, about getting more, it was about getting more hours in at the start in light when the yes. cameras were up and also there were other clashing events, if I remember. Wasn't it at the end of the Tour de France? Yes. Yeah. Um, Support races... Uh, there will be yes, this is interesting. The, the normal uh, two Road to Le Mans races, one of them on Thursday, one of them on Saturday. Yeah. The uh, rotating guest race this year is the Porsche oh, Sprint. Oh, on a spit. The Porsche <laughs> Sprint Challenge. That's the Caymans, isn't it? Uh, it's the French version of that, isn't it? French Caymans. Yeah. I wouldn't mind a drive in that. Uh, and also, there's an extra support race, which is going to take mm. place on Friday afternoon. And this is the Fun Cup. Now, th- this is interesting, because not in a normal week, which w- it's not a normal week, because what you haven't mentioned either is the fact that um, the scrutineering is at the track on Saturday, and test day Friday is the previous Saturday. Sunday. Right, and, and test day is the previous Sunday. Yes, which is so what they were qu- planning to do last year. Yes, that's correct. But on a normal week that started on Wednesday and ended on Sunday, the road would be reopened on Friday and people would, you know, uh, be have access, both locals and spectators. Uh, and there'd be no track action on the Friday. However, they're going to close the road at 8 o'clock in the morning on on Wednesday and leave it closed all the way through to two hours after the race on Sunday. Yes. So that means they can get more stuff in on Friday. It is... What we don't know, because we haven't seen a day-by-day proper schedule, minute-by-minute, is the um, Fun Cup, the VW Fun Cup, is that, or just the Fun Cup now, um, is that going to be a single-day event with practice qualifying in the race all on Friday and nothing else running that day? I don't know. I bet it is. There doesn't appear to be any other um, Mm. support race action on the Friday, unless they're doing some sprint uh, Porsche Sprint Cup practice or qualifying on a Friday morning uh, but it looks like a 2pm start on Friday afternoon with the Fun Cup going uh, down to 7pm 
uh, or people already be asking about qualifying, uh, about coverage rather, and streaming. Um, bear in mind that the first sessions of the 24 hours weren't covered last year. I think it, we might be being a tad optimistic to think there might be coverage of the Fun Cup. It, it's, this sounds to me, and I, I'm going to say this, and people are going to say I'm criticising and I'm not. This sounds to me as though this is a plan by the ACO in case they can't get spectators there. This is a way of getting more income from more series. And it could be a lot more... So, uh, um, the, it could be a lot more money coming in because the Fun Cup could get a very, very big entry. I'll, very big I, entry. I think, Where were they going to put them? The, Where's the paddock for well, this? Well, there you go. There you go. But if they, if they don't have spectators there, there won't be, there'll be plenty of room. Well, we'll find out next month about spectators because next month they promised they will announce all the details about ticketing. So we'll look forward to that. There was another announcement uh, this week, mm-hmm. uh, which is the reserve list, which uh, yes. which was very quietly sort of slipped out. And normally, normally uh, this comes out with the main entry list, and they said uh, not yet. Ah, but don't, f- don't forget that they had a. S- Yes, they had a separate entry period, separate application period and separate application um, protocols for the reserve lists. Question for you, John. Mm. How many of the cars on last year's reserve list made it into the race? All of them that wanted it. Uh, that's not a number. Um, seven up from Seven memory. is correct. Oh! How many cars Why are on this year's... Why can't I be like this in the quiz? How many cars... Because you don't get questions this easy in the quiz. All How right. many cars are on this year's reserve list? Four. Four. Mm. Do we do we suspect this uh, may lead to fewer than full grid of cars starting Le Mans? Or are we expecting fewer <sighs> withdrawals this year? Uh, I'd pass on that, if, okay. I, if honestly... If I'll ask you again I, I, in I, a month. I'll, I'll tell you why, though, Tim. I think with things being as uncertain as they still are, particularly in Europe and especially in France, then there are so many moving parts to this, particularly for, I mean, even for other European competitors to get to France. That could all have changed by August. Um, It could be great. It could be terrible. And... uh, Never mind the international side of things. Um, I'll say, I'll be surprised, but pleasantly surprised, if we have a full grid. Is what if it happens, and if we have a full if if it happens, if we have a full grid, I will be pleasantly surprised. That's what I'll say. What do we know about these reserves? Uh, the first one is in number sixty-two. Of course, a Ferrari with Sergei Sorokin, Christoph Ulrich, and Simon Mann in it. Yeah, uh, this will Solid. be the first. GT race uh, or ACO GT race for Sorokin. He's done uh, SRO GTs before, but traditionally at Le Mans, you'd find him in an LMP2 car. Yeah. Um, AF Corsa know how to run cars. Um, they've they got the uh, Swiss driver uh, Christoph Ulrich as well and Simon Mann from the USA. Uh, it's pretty pretty solid. Um, Sorokin's the platinum Um Ulrich is the bronze and Simon Mann is the silver. So that is, you know, the full colours of the rainbow there. Um, I was I'm slightly surprised that I'm slightly surprised that the first 
reserve is a GT car. Well, the second one is an LMP2 car, and that's the Algarve Pro Racing 27 Orica. Uh, and they've named Mark Patson and Naveen Rao so far, but no third driver in it. Uh, those guys, of course, uh, Naveen has been racing in IMSA uh, Prototype Challenge. And also the uh, Asian Le Mans series. Yeah, and that would be... Well, I was going to say that would be a second entry for Algarve Pro Racing. Um, but I've just gone to look in LMP2. And they that... Ah, that's because, of course, they're running the J-Drive car, aren't they? Um so they're running one of the J-Drive cars, uh, of course. Third Sorry. one is a GTA Am car. It's the Garage 59 Aston Martin. Uh, they've only named one driver, and that is uh, Alexander West. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just I'm spinning through what's been there. Uh, I, I noticed um, young Habsburg's name is not attached to anything there, and he's got links to Algar Pro Series, so he might be... The third driver in that. Uh, yeah. And the fourth and final... Garage, 50, Garage 59, running Aston Martin uh, yep. for the Swedish driver Alex West for the moment, yeah. They ve- came very close to getting an automatic entry, but uh, just pipped at the post in the Asian Le Mans series. Uh, Correct. Fourth and final one is uh, another AF course, the car. It's a 61 car. Again, there's only one driver named in it. That's Francesco Piovanetti. Uh, Who is uh, an American, by the way. Puerto uh, Rico. Yeah. Uh, runs on a US license. Yes, um, and they and, and they will be invited in the order that you've read them out. So AF Corsa, Algarve, Garage Fifty Nine, AF Corsa, um, and it doesn't. So in the old days, it used to be if a GT car dropped out, it would be placed to start with by a GT car for prototype. No, it's just so if um, a P One car dropped out, it would still be replaced by AF Corsa. Yes. So just just to to make that clear. Uh, another Le Mans story. United Autosports have announced this morning that Alex Lynn will be joining their team for the 24 hours alongside mm. Paul DeResta and TBC. Yeah. Good to see that TBC's got a decent drive this year. That is uh, that is a strong, already a strong line-up there. I'm extremely excited to be joining United Autosports for the 2021 Le Mans 24 hours, says Alex Lynn. It feels like I'm going back home driving a prototype. To be with the defending LMP2 Le Mans winning team and driver Paul DeResta is a great opportunity. After standing on that top step of the podium last year, I can't wait to get going again. I'm sure we'll all love to do the two. Mm. Uh, Jamaria Bruni is going yeah. back to the European Le Mans series. Yes, he is. I saw this. For Proton a former champion, of course, yep. for Ferrari. This is alongside a full WEC programme, obviously. That's just greedy, isn't it? Uh, and he's going to be alongside Jackson Evans and uh, Christian Reed. Mm-hmm. And, and again, can we just say, Christian Reed, one of the best gentleman drivers there is. Jackson Evans, another Antipodean sensation, being backed by... Uh, Porsche as a young driver, really, really strong lineup. Black Falcon. Oh yes, now this is interesting. Are entering um, the Michelin Le Mans Cup in, yes. with an LMP3 car uh, with Mike Rosenberg and Donal Munding mm-hmm. uh, and Alexander Bohm, who is the man at the top of Black Falcon, says the LMP scene is 
booming at the moment and new international mm. applications join it every year. This is particularly attractive for our customers who want to pursue endurance racing at a high international level. They have one entry for the full season, but they have three cars and the other two uh, will be available for anyone who's got some money and wants to race in the Road to Le Mans races at Le Mans and later on in the season if they want to go anywhere else. Um, they are very close to a number of other teams who've done exactly the same uh, this year. Um, obviously, they are very closely linked with AMG Mercedes. And in fact, I think the only people on in that from that area, possibly even on that industrial estate, who haven't said they're going to do LMP2 yet is Manti. Mm. <laughs> so, so, so let's we So that's that's the next one. Is that it? Uh, no, there's another Mission Le Mans Cup That'd story. A very short one. Uh, we've got some Icelandics uh, making their international racing debut. Oh wow! Uh, in the um, Mission Le Mans Cup, uh, number seventy-seven Ligier will be driven by Alden Goodmundson and Tom Ashton, who isn't Icelandic at all. He's uh, British and he's the 2020 Radical Challenge. Uh, driver, I think I might have raced against it. No, I think I might have been on the track at the same time as him a couple of seasons ago now. Yeah. Uh, okay, it's nine o'clock, and to prove we are live at half time here and in the football, it's uh, one, two, and zero, one. Midweek motorsport, half time, and while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Well, take a deep breath, everybody, because we've got a very busy second hour of tonight's programme. Declan Brennan will be back, and he'll be joining Nick Dearman as we talk a little bit more bikes. We've yet to go through GP. I suspect uh, we will have a full and exciting conversation about LMP2 being slowed down. Uh, and your tweets on that, please, too, at Specutainment. Plenty of other news as well, and we were promised fun and frivolity uh, as well. But next, uh, and thanks to Eve for setting this up, uh, we will welcome to our big interview none other than new Corvette driver, or relatively recent Corvette driver, Nick Tandy from Bedfordshire. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Delighted to welcome onto Midweek Motorsport Nick Tandy. Hello, Nick. How are you? Hello, very good, John. Thank you very much. Hello, hello. So, have you, so just pick the phone up. What? Hey. <laughs> uh, been a, been a bit of a while since we've had a, a proper chat, and in fairness, um, midweek motorsport falling on a Wednesday has always made it difficult for us to get you on on live because you, in the normal uh, long before these days, are, are busy uh, in your locale around there. I think that's all we'll say about that at the moment. But. Um, Tell us. It's, dark, it's darts night on a Wednesday, John. Darts, you know darts night on a Wednesday. Exactly. <laughs> you and Tinknell, masters of the arrows in the uh, in Indeed. the Ipsa paddock. We need, actually, there's something that we need to get going once we uh, we all get back to quote unquote normality in the Ipsa paddock. Bit of an indoor league, so we could have darts. We could have uh, bar billiards. We could do a bit of that. How do you fancy that then? Eh? Skittles. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll, we'll have a we'll have a comp at, uh, at Le Mans sometime. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Fantastic stuff. Um, right, it's it, it's been a time of great change in some respects at uh, at, at the Tandys, um, in in terms of your substantive work, um, moving to Corvette, um, and how's it been? How's the transition been? It started well. 
it's no, it's been it's been really good. It's it's been good. Um, you know, obviously we've had uh, we've had two races. Um, the season's gone a bit quiet, obviously because of the the change in the calendar. But you know, starting out as we did at Daytona, um, it, it was it was mega. You know, both cars ran throughout the race um, really well. Obviously, the result was a one-two. Um, you know, it, it just it things didn't fall into place on our our side on the four car for the for the win. But to be part of the experience of being with the team and having that kind of success the first mm-hmm. time out for me and and Alex, you know, both new to the team. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was mega, you know, and um, it was it was great. It was good looking up to Sebring. We went testing, we had a test there, and we went into the twelve hours. And basically, as soon as the race started, we had an issue on the on the four car, and uh, yeah, it became a very long twelve hours after that. Uh, but at least it got back in the race, and you did some mileage, which I, I suspect, even in those circumstances, is not the worst thing to happen. Um, how far does how far does it go back then? When did you first get into the Corvette, Nick, and and get your get your first opportunity to to drive for the brand? So I was lucky enough that that Porsche let me um, do a test pre Christmas um, back in twenty twenty. Right. Um, so we uh, we went and did a day's testing. I think it was yeah, it was the back end of December time. So that was the first time um, I got a run in the car. I went over to the workshops in in Michigan and. Um, and uh, we did a bit of work in the sim in, in Huntersville in, in, in North Carolina. And then uh, I carried on my trip of the States and went on down to Florida and we went testing. <laughs> <laughs> road trip, road trip. Um, yeah. What? Uh, I'm not saying better or worse. I'm not necessarily uh, seeing even different. But are there things that you've got to get used to when you move from one team, never mind one manufacturer, to another Yes, there are, and I think the majority of it is getting used to the the people. Yeah, and that extends to the way people work, the way you communicate, the way you, you know, your job as a driver changes from team to team. You might be, you know, for example, if I'm if I when I was a driver for JTR, for example, I was not just the driver. Um, when I was part of racing Carrera Cup, um, you know, you don't have so many people looking after so many different things and. And then in a factory environment, it's all very different. So, yeah, getting kind of used to the communication and who does what and what your role needs to be and what you need to focus on. It's all different, whether you go from a, a team with the same manufacturer in Europe to a team in, in, in America and, and this sort of thing. So from the side of driving the car, um, it's been, you know, it's the, the, all the GTE, GTLM cars, they're, they're quite similar for a reason. Um, you know, they're supposed to be balanced. Mm-hmm. There's obviously differences and bits and pieces that you need to learn and tricks to, to get the, the lap time out, and I'm still kind of learning that. But, yeah, the main thing is getting getting involved in, in the team environment and the aspect. And from that point of view, it's been really good. They've included me and, it, and welcomed me with open arms. Um, uh, is the steering wheel on the Corvette as complicated as it was on the 911? <laughs> uh, pretty much, yeah. Uh. They all look like prototypes to me now. They all look like prototypes to me on the inside. It's it's an absolutely extraordinary thing. Uh, One thing, I suppose, that hasn't changed that much is the passion of the supporters. Porsche, massive global brand. Corvette, America's sports car, certainly. Uh, Doug Feehan, I remember almost slapped me on the back of the head when I say that. I say, no, it's the world sports car, man, Hindhoff. What are you talking about? Um, that, That 
brings with it a sort of responsibility to, to, to the followers as well. But that, I, I guess that's something, I suppose that's something that, that, you, that you're rather used to. I know the role that you that you're that you're in in this mm. situation, and and having been racing in IMSA for a few years, I know the passion and the support that there is in the states for for Corvette and Corvette racing, and you know that does bring an extra level of responsibility as mm. such. And um, you know Corvette racing know that, and they know that kind of the drivers are out there in the public and in the public eye and you know, the, the the way that we have to, or the way that we, we kind of interact with the, the people that, that follow the racing and the racing cars, it's it's part of, you know, the, the, the job that you have to do. Um, like you say, I've been lucky to be in an environment where where we've we've had this kind of support before, but I've seen in America just how different kind of the, the following is for for the racing Corvettes. Yeah. <laughs> compared to compared to basically any other brand in 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 racing so it's tribal isn't it and i don't say that in a bad way but you know if you are a corvette racing fan you are absolutely a dyed in the wool corvette racing fan you know there's the there's the jake head stickers and and all that sort of stuff i mean it's it's like following soccer it's like following football in the uk it is. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I've experienced it from the other side. Oh, yes, of course. Big battles at Long Beach and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the you know, I was always a bit wary coming as a not well as a, as a Porsche man, effectively, because mm-hmm. I have been for for you know for so many years since. What the kind of the welcome would be like and how people would warm to you, but I think people realise pretty quick that you know you're you're in this position. You join a team for for a reason and it's the reason it's everybody's got the same desire and that's to go and compete and be competitive and win ultimately so yeah if you if you do a good job and um you know you, you go out there and, and do your best i think people appreciate that and uh they like the fact that they've got someone trying hard in the the cars that they they want to see up the front yeah and, and looking at some of the the message boards and, and stuff like that as i do and i'm sure you do uh, as well um you've had a a good welcome and you know um both you and Alex who've come in from um, other manufacturers, the idea is you want the strongest teams. And I, I think sports car fans, generally speaking, I, I kind of understand uh, stand that, understand that, even if they are following following their own brand. What, what some people might not realise about you is that you have had a love for all things American for a very long time. And so going to work with GM, <laughs> and particularly Corvette, is... is I suppose quite exciting for you, and, and I'm not going to say it ever since you were a small boy, but um, to coin a phrase, but but you have had that that love of American racing coming as you do from a short track background over here. Yeah, big time. Uh, I mean, you know that, John. It's I, I, I genuinely I love everything American. I love the, all the American sports. Like you say, NASCAR has been my favourite auto racing sport that I follow as a fan since I was a boy, uh, and it still is. And, um, you know, uh, my my dad was a big Ford fan, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Ford has got a big, big presence in, especially in the in the UK and, and Germany, I guess. But, of course, it's, a, it's an American brand. So kind of when I was growing up and watching, watching the, 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 the stock car stuff, there was Fords, but kind of, you know, my, my driver was... 
um, was Dale Earnhardt, and he he drove a Chevy. So <laughs> it's kind of yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, it's kind of full circle if you like. Yeah, I I I know how very excited you were to go and drive um, a, the Petit Le Mans winning um, Porsche, the Coca Cola car around uh, around a, a moderate sized oval. Uh, what seems like a lifetime <laughs> ago now I, I i suspect you enjoyed that very much indeed yeah when we went to talladega it was just another <laughs> it's just another experience like nothing else um yeah it's uh and it's kind of it's it's kind of awe inspiring for you know for somebody that kind of watches this this sort of thing on TV for years and years and years. And then finally you, you get to arrive. I remember the first time I went to Daytona, mm. you know, you arrive at the track and it's like, Oh my, this is, this is just amazing. <laughs> and it was the same when we went to Talladega and uh, we got to watch the race. I've been, I've been pushing Chevrolet to, we, we, we go to the sim and do some work on the, on the, on the CAR of course. Mm-hmm. And I've been pestering them to let me have a go in the, the cup model, but uh, they, they haven't let me do that yet. <laughs> Maybe one day. Well, I'm sure you'd be very good at it. Very, very good indeed. Um, as as I said, you, you've obviously you've thrown yourself into all things Corvette at the moment. Not least, I saw some very interesting Twitter footage the other day of your. Uh, again, people may not know this about you, but um, particularly during lockdown, but long before that as well, you've always been a fan of building models. RC remote control models. <laughs> your your truck and trailer model was a thing of great beauty and massive envy from Hindoff here. Um, I, I thought you did a, a smashing job on that with your your, your transporter trailer. Um, you've now thrown yourself into a C8R model, which is blooming rapid. Oh, mate, it's it's unbelievable. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to bring it over to you at some point, John. Actually, because we don't live very far apart. Not true enough. It's um yeah, it's like this lockdown. It kind of well, and also my my children being born. It's kind of rekindled my interest in in everything radio controlled from from planes to to boats but especially cars and i got contacted by uh armor rc company um they were working with a manufacturer of body shells and they just they just produced uh the the car for, mm. the, for the one seventh scale that's pro um, is that's pro- that's protoform isn't it protoform yeah yeah, yeah we know exactly. protoform from nick's rc they've been a sponsor of nick's rc uh european and world coverage in fact I've, i'm yeah. wearing my yeah. vintage protoform um, sort of faded red T-shirt, even uh, as we're speaking. Oh, I remember all the all the Arson One Tenth uh, touring car bodies they they used to do Correct. And, yeah. and stuff like this. So they they contacted me and said, you know, would I would I be interested in in, in painting up a, a a car just like our race car? And of course, you know, I sat down. I said I'd phone them back and think about it. <laughs> Not. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, so I managed to get hold of one of these these cars, and they they shipped over to Sebring. And basically, I charged the batteries up and took it for a rip around the paddock. And effectively, the whole paddock stopped and stood still because this thing, it's not only huge, but it's unbelievably fast. So what scale is it, Nick? Uh, it's one-seventh. Oh, so, right. right. Yeah. It's, it's, I put it in my suitcase on the way back, and it basically it filled a, a normal-sized <laughs> suitcase, basically. So it's kind of that size, if you can imagine. Wow. But, yeah, I took it up, um, I took it up a local private road at the weekend, and um, I've got a GPS meter that i can put on it and we recorded 91 miles an hour which 
and that's absolutely stock. No playing around with the motors <laughs> no. or anything like that. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. There's there's a there's a different set of gearing that they include in the kit, but yeah, that is stock out the box. Just bolt the the, the pinion on and, and off you go. I did a few aero mods because the first couple of runs I was getting some aero lift and I actually had a blowover at eighty one. I think Oof. so. I trimmed the rear wing and, uh, and and played about with the rake, and we got it to be a bit more stable. <laughs> yeah, I love it. See, even working, even working on the arrow on your RC car, <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. You know that Nick um, raced a Porsche Taycan with a an RC car for a, a TV show. As he, I didn't. He, he had to drive it around a, a cart track or something somewhere. Um, which was a, oh, a lot I'll of fun. I'll have to have a look for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure yeah. Nick will be only happy happy to, to direct you uh, to it. Um, oh, oh, finish off, we'll go, we'll go back to your day job <laughs> rather than the things that are keeping you out of the house, obviously, <laughs> at the moment, which I'm sure Brittany is um, delighted that you're not uh, under her feet all the time. Um, obviously, US travel still a little bit difficult. Um as you say, we've got a long gap now until the GT cars are back. Um, although they come back for the first time, Corvette is going to be able to race at Detroit, which is effectively their their home race. With the way that Le Mans shifted around and everything else, let's not bore everybody with that again. But that's going to be a big deal, isn't it? Well, yeah, I imagine so. It's in it's in the centre of Detroit. So, <laughs> have you even been be there before, deal. Nick? Um, I, I stayed one night. It was the first time I've ever been when I went to to the workshops, which are about twenty miles out of out of town. Yeah, um, the Pratt Miller, Pratt -Miller yeah. workshop. Yeah. But um, yeah, so obviously that's going to be a huge deal to 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 Corvette and Chevrolet. And so Jimmy, you've not so. seen seen the racetrack because you've always been busy with Le Mans, of course, in the past, and the GT Le Mans cars have have I not done that yeah. event. Exactly. Oh, mate, you're I'll love be it. getting. I'll be getting on on i racing and doing a lot of laps around there. Don't you, worry about you it. You are going to <laughs> look. I'm not sure if they've got the a, the the current layout actually on i racing. Um, if uh, if truth be told, but I'd have to get someone to check check that out. It's it's an unbelievable event, and and obviously being alongside IndyCar um, is always a, a, a lot of fun. Um, I, I suspect the, the pressure is really going to be uh, on there in terms of, of PR and all of that because it is literally in the shadow, well not literally, it's up the river, of the, of the GM building which totally dominates the skyline on the, on the riverfront at, at Detroit. So you're going to be busy that week, mate. Yeah, I'm sure we will. I hope we are. Because at the moment you kind of go to the racetracks and we miss all the kind of the the fan interaction and the other bits and pieces that we do. So a lot of the time you're sitting there twiddling your your thumbs a bit between sessions. So hopefully we can uh, we can go out and experience the the, the situation and the, the race and, and get involved with the yeah the Chevrolet boys on the the, the IndyCar side mm. and um, go and have a bit of fun. Yeah, um, the rest of the season will play out as it does as far as the US is, is concerned and we'll leave other people to make those decisions. Obviously not quite as much full season competition as you would have liked, Nick, for Corvette racing. Although we've seen how strong uh, the private ear Porsche can be with WeatherTech and, and uh, their drivers, in, including some factory drivers there. But we know, uh, any students of American racing will know that the 
inter-team or intra-team rivalry between the Corvettes can get quite tasty. Has done in the past. I think mid-Ohio in the American Le Mans series uh, era. Um, is it difficult or not that difficult for you to, to, uh, and you, your teammates to keep up your competitive spirit when you know, for example, at that Detroit race, there's probably only going to be three GT Le Mans cars? Um, Detroit might be because there there might only be two. Um, ah. And it might be non-point scoring anyway. That's a good point. But, yes, um, I'd forgotten about that. But generally, you know, you only need you only need two cars to have a race. Mm. Um, it's and especially two well-matched cars, which the the three and the four are going to be the whole season, of course. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's always great when there's there's loads of cars. You, you know, you go to Nurburgring and there's maybe thirty, forty cars who got a chance to win. But um, at the same time, uh, you, you only need. You only need two cars to have a race, and there is no less motivation. There's no less work that's going on. We need to, as the the sole kind of manufacturer representative in GTLM this year, we need to stamp our authority on the, yeah. the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Good enough. And, of course, you've got the Sojourn in August to go over to Le Mans, and the C8R hasn't yet been to Le Mans. That looks like that's going to be a very busy week. Schedule coming out earlier this week that sees uh, scrutineering the previous Saturday, test on the Sunday, and then basically you're straight into to race week. Um, that, again, is going to be pretty full on, Nick, particularly for a car that's not been to that track before. Uh, yeah, it will be. I mean, hopefully there's not a lot to do from the, the test day on the Sunday um, through to the practice. So I'm sure that, well, we know we've got a pretty good base. We've you know we've run, obviously, the Le Mans Aero kit on the car as, as in, pre- in preparation. Right. Um, the, the car's been through various different iterations in the sim. Of course, you know, you need to validate these things on the actual racetrack that you're going to be racing on. But, uh, yeah, it, it should be fine. And I had the experience last year of, of doing the kind of the short Le Mans experience. Mm. And um, I kind of liked it, to be honest, because you're, you never kind of lose that competitive um, way of, of working. You know, you don't have a week off in between. You don't have... Mm couple of days from the last session before the the race and um yeah it was it was it was good last year and um I, i'm sure i'm sure it'll be fine again uh, and what you mentioned the nurburgring so while we're talking about europe we'll we'll finish up with a, a little bit of other racing that you're doing which is not inconsequential at all because you have been picked up by Frickadelli porsche team uh, for what is now called the Nürburgring Langstrecker Series, the old VLN, leading up presumably to the Nürburgring 24 hours. Uh, obviously, you didn't get the first one off because of the the weather. Um, how how much are you looking forward to that? I'm really looking forward to going back there, to be honest. I, ha- I didn't race at all at the ring last year. And, um, you know, I, I missed it. I, I love... I love the place. I love the event, the 24 event, even the, the, the NLS races, you know, it's, um, I spent a lot of time growing up on racing in Germany. So mm. I know a lot of people out there and, um, yeah, we've got, uh, we've got a full attack on an effort with, with Frickadelli racing. So I'm teaming up with my, my mates that I've been victorious with before in, in Earl, um, Matt, of course, that I won, Petit with last year. Matt and, Campbell, um, yeah. Earl Bamber and Matt yeah. Campbell, for those that don't know. Yeah. The Antipodean um, squad. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Matthew Gemini, mm. who we won the the Carl Army nine hours with. So, yeah, we, we're, we're, we're fully up for it. And um, I'm looking forward to, to hopefully getting involved in the, the NLS stuff. And, um, 
it's yeah it, it's it's obviously preparation for the big one but uh do you have to do some of those because you didn't race last year nick do you have to do some of those to re-qualify or, or, or could you in theory i know it wouldn't be as um, ron dennis might say it wouldn't be optimal but could you just rock up for the for the either the qualified race or the or the big race itself or do you have to do some of those nls no, I could rock up. I've got my permit. Right. I think if you've raced within the last two years, two years as, an, right. as an A grades driver, um, you're okay to go. But yeah, seeing as I haven't been there for a couple of years, I thought I'd, get, I'd better get some practice. Yeah, good good point. Excitement because that's a strong squad, and and Fricadelli always put a couple of good cars out, tinged with a, a little bit of sadness, of course, um, with uh, Sabine. Um, having passed away relatively uh, recently, uh, great. I think that that uh, her other half, Klaus Abelin, is is carrying on, and and that surely one of the best tributes to Sabina uh, in in terms of getting back out there and, and getting the cars to the front of the field. I I think so too, and I think it's I think it'll be good for everyone involved. Um, obviously, she was a big part of the team and has been for many years, a huge part of Klaus's life, and. Um, you know, I think it'll be good for everyone to kind of get a focus on on something else. And like you say, paying, you know, keeping the team going as a tribute. I think we'll run with Sabine's name on on the on oh, the car as, as part of the drives in both cars. So, um, yeah, it's kind of. I hope it's extra motivation for for everyone involved. It, it sure will be from my side anyway. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I met. I think. We, I think I raced with Sabine in the same car back when I started um, going to the Nurburgring, sort of 2011 time. Well, when Klaus was silly enough to put me in one of his cars, but um, yeah, so I've known the pair of them for a long time, and it'll be um, it'll be sad to go back and see them, but uh, yeah, maybe the racing will will kind of take minds, um, you know, put minds on on better stuff. Maybe. Yeah, agreed. Is that your next time out then, Nick, in terms of competitive driving? Hopefully so. Yeah, I'm hoping well. to get to to NLS two. Mm. Um, it's a kind of as everybody knows the situation with travel and stuff is all a bit up in the air at the moment in various different countries and rules change all the time so you kind of never know what you're going to get when you get to the, the border but yeah that's the plan can't speak to you and we will finish off with this because I'm aware of of the, the time that I'm keeping you away from um, your family and and also practising for the IMSA iRacing Pro Series uh, tomorrow night, which we've got over on IMSA Radio in um, Sound and Vision uh, as well. Um, I'll I'll leave you to that in a way moment, but got to talk about JTR and, and your other hat. You can take your racing driver a helmet off, I suppose, and, and put your team owner and team manager uh, head on. Uh, we're, we're getting back to racing again in, in the UK, still far from normality. Um, how How's that side of, of business going in the Porsche Carrera Cup GB? It's, it's OK. Uh, it hasn't been easy, to be honest. I think a lot of... Um... Well, a lot of sports have taken a hit due to what's going on. I think the thing, the thing with kind of the um, the the Porsche Carreras Cup stuff, um, and and even kind of like all the Toka stuff, is the fact that it's it's such a it's such a fan friendly thing. Yes. Um, if if the if the races can't happen without the people there, um, and things like the hospitality, and mm-hmm. people can't take their friends and family and. And, and and sponsors and and whatnot. It's you know it doesn't help a lot of drivers that that kind of fund their racing that way or, or go racing to take their friends. So um, it's it's difficult. But um, we started testing. We will be out racing in the first race, not till June. 
um, which is still quite a far wow. way away. But really, yeah, yeah, they've, they've they've delayed the season even further. We don't we've stopped racing at Thruxton because um, a lot of cars couldn't go around Thruxton without blowing left rear tyres. Right. Uh, <laughs> even though the JTR cars could, let me say. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, We've we've been out testing. The guys are going well. We've got Jamie and, and Lorcan, and uh, we've got high hopes. Yeah, yeah. Wish you all the best uh, for that. Um, always difficult, I know, to to get the programs together. But you've got a good group of guys um, who work really hard, as I think everybody does in motorsport. And national motorsport is no no different to that. Uh, hopefully, be speaking to you, t- to you tomorrow night after your first run in the virtual uh, C8R in the, in the first of three Pro Series, Pro Series races for IMSA on and iRacing. I, I, I take it you I, um, have been doing a bit of practice. In fact, I know you have, actually. I know you've been doing a lot of, lot of practice <laughs> on, the, on the new car. How, how, how close to reality, then, is, is your times round Sebring in, in the virtual C8R to the real one? Uh, I mean, it's pretty accurate, I have to say. Uh, it, it always is on the iRacing platform. Um, you know, you can you can make the track quicker or slower with the weather as as you like. But mm. uh, yeah, if you can, yeah, if if I can run a race pace at one minute fifty five, I might have somewhere of a shot. But uh, <laughs> it's it's be it's going to be a bit different this year. And last year when we did it, there was a you know there was a big support. There was a lot of I had a lot of teammates. Kind of this year, I'm I'm flying the the Corvette racing flag alone. I know a lot of the other guys weren't, weren't available for tomorrow night. So yeah. I haven't probably put enough practice in, but I am literally talking to you sitting on my rig at the moment. I'll let so you get I'll, back to it. I will get back to it. And, and you've got P2, you've got P2 cars for the first time. It was all, all just GTLM. Yeah. So you, you're going to have those pesky prototype drivers nerfing you off at every opportunity. I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a fan of that idea. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember some of the the, the 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 races last year were a bit messy anyway, and now we're kind of two two classes in the in the race. I hope it'll be good. You know, I, I'm sure it will be. Um, you know, you just don't want either class doesn't want their their race kind of messed up by by someone else, as as always in in endurance racing. True enough. But it is endurance racing, and it's uh, it'll be a one hour race, and uh, yeah, we'll be going for it. Uh, and uh, you can see and hear it on imsaradio.com. Hopefully I'll be talking to you at the end of it because you'll have had a had a decent result. Nick, thank you. Been far too long since we've had a proper catch-up other than sending each other quick te- texts and interacting on, on Twitter. Best to Brittany and, and, and the family. And hopefully, as I say, I'll see you tomorrow. And even more hopefully, hope to see you at the racetrack soon, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good to talk to you, John. Cheers, mate. Can I go, bless? All right, cheers. Nick Tanti on his rig uh, and he'd be with us uh, tomorrow night from uh, 6.30 Eastern, 11.30 UK on imsaradio.com in sound and vision. Nick Damon and I on the comms for round one of three IMSA Pro Racing double uh, or two class uh, events. Simon Hoff says on Spectretainment we need an RC special show with Nick and Nick. It's an idea. It's certainly an idea. Tim Gray, uh, half an hour of the show to go. What do you have for us next? Uh, I was going to say uh, we've got some more Porsche Cup news, which we'll do a little bit later on. But we're going to do this okay. next. 
The news that no one is talking about. The stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. This isn't actually very pointless. I just want you to predict how far uh, through it I'm going to get before Eve comes shouting uh, into the studio, uh, John. Uh, I think I hear I'm moving already. <laughs> We're delighted to announce that Peter Dumbreck, highly experienced DTM and 24 Hours of Le Mans driver, is joining Tuthill Porsche to lead our race team interests. Ooh. Interesting. Having competed in no less than 17 Nürburgring 24-hour races, is she there yet? No. Fewer. Fewer. Uh, Don't forget, she's on a 30-second delay to live, though. So she'll start shouting just as I play this. Stop, oh yes, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Wait, wait, Mr. Postman. Have we had a letter? letter? (laughs) (laughs) Dear Midweek Motorsport. Oh, we really have had a letter? I really enjoyed last week's show, which inspired me to watch some Easter motor racing on YouTube. Other video streaming sites are available. However, I feel I would have appreciated that viewing experience more if I understood the format of this year's 30th anniversary Renault Clio Cup. Please could you ask Tim to explain this on the show this week? By the way, Eve just said, no, it was less than, not fewer. Fewer than. Anyway, he's done the Nürburgring 24 hours 17 times. All right. Okay. He didn't need any of it, actually. It was a hyperball. Hyperball, sorry. Uh, are you going to explain the Renault thingy? So, there are 15 race meetings, each of which yep. has two races. And yep. they're divided into four groups. Each group has five or six dates. Right. Drivers can do as many races as they like, but they can only uh, score points in either two groups or, if they can test more than two groups, in their best 20 results out of the 30 races. Mm-hmm. And that's got to be 10 weekends rather than 20 individual races does any of this involve lighting a pine cone on fire and shouting hot box and divided by nine because that's wakbat so group b was last weekend at nagaro <laughs> groups a and c start at the end of the month at monza groups b and d are the following weekend at manicore b and mm. c are the weekend after that at hockenheim group a is on its own at Mizano on the 4th to the 6th mm. of june uh, group D's on its own at Motorland Aragon at the end of June. Groups A and C race at the Hungaro Ring in July, supporting GT Open. Group A is on its own again at Imola in July. Group C supports the 24 hours of Spa. Groups B and D go to Ledenon, supporting French GT. Groups A and C are at now? the Red Bull Ring. Group D's at Valencia. Group B's at the Castellet. Monza is groups A and C for the ACI Racing Weekend, and it all concludes on the 14th of November with groups B and D at the Circuit de Catalunya in Barcelona. Uh, Nick, speaking for all of us when he says on our production chat, he's lost the will to live. Uh, David uh, Pouget and uh, Nicola Milan no, were the winners at Nagaro. I, I don't care anymore now. You've told us that. I really don't care about the racing. It took too long. That, that's longer than the season. Um, 
Eve, Eve put on the, the chat in front of me, no less than. And I thought she meant no less than, but she didn't. It, there was three question marks to indicate horror, so you were right. It should have been fewer, but I'm not sure it was required anyway. So Nick Damon uh, has Nick Tandy us. has just Nick Tandy has just tweeted and said, "I could talk RC for hours." Uh, Nick Damon, we could have the Nick and Nick RC show. Let's see why not. Do you like that idea? I, I, I could also and have spoken about RC for hours, so yeah. Well, we it's, both it's have. A, we'd have to cut the show down slightly. Uh, I have I have one worrying word. Two, I have two uh, two words. A single name, which is going to uh, worry Nick if he's still listening. He is Bruno Spengler. Carry on. Oh, that's for tomorrow, though. That's nothing to do. I see. Oh, everything to do with what is the last thing you were talking about, though. Oh yes, yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Uh, let's do some that's Formula tomorrow. One news. Hooray! Hey! 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 You sound like you had a bit of a misfire there, mate. Well, it's long. This is the back end of a very long day. Oh, really? Okay. Where's Sebastian Vettel been today? Uh, the shrink. That's where he needs to go. Not the answer I'm looking for. I'll give you a clue. The capital of Austria. Neil Salon. Vienna. Means nothing nothing to me. me. Yes. He has been um, taking part in an initiative called BioBean in Apfel. Right, so that's bio fuel bio something fuel or fuel hats. A- apple yeah. is apple. Bean in um, our beans. Fuel apple. Cider fuel. Cider fuel. Cider fuel. Bean so in our bees. You've got a brand new combine harvester and it'll give you the key. Come on, Wurzels, we're in F1 now. Bio Bean in Apple aims to raise awareness on the importance of bees to our ecosystem and create habitats for bees in Austria and Germany. Okay. Mm-hmm. Vettel was joined by uh, Austrian ice hockey player Marco Rossi mm-hmm. and tennis star Dominic Team as an ambassador no for no for BioBean and Apple. He's not Austrian, so what's he doing the Austrian bit for? It launched in Vienna. It still oh, it launched in Vienna. It wasn't specifically Austrian. Okay, right. No. So that's some good uh, news about Sebastian Vettel. And that's all the good news about Sebastian Vettel, because everyone's been ganging up on him this week, haven't they, Nick? They haven't. He's got a right beard his bonnet about it. But um, Shall we start with Dr. Helmut Marko? Yes, he said he should just stay retired. No, he should have taken a year off. Yes. Last year, Helmut Marko... Helmut Marko is inventing maths at the moment, because he reckons that... A, a differential problem was costing Max for 7.3 of a second out of one corner. Um, he's just making stuff up, as always. So I think anything <laughs> Marco says should be just ignored. <laughs> Speaks highly of you. Shall we ignore that as well? Realistically, I don't care. <laughs> uh, what does Ralph Schumacher say about Seb? Uh, not as good as my brother. He actually said, stop whinging and get on with it. Hang on, hang on. Ralph Schumacher. pot kettle. I was was about to say, step back if you're standing next to Ralph Schumacher at the moment because the bolt of lightning is coming any second now. What are you talking about? Good heavens. Never had a a cob on in his life. Oh, hang on. It was just a permanent one. Matthew Hyman, by the way, it would it be unfair to ask if Cyril Abutabula was responsible in any way for that Clio calendar? No. <laughs> uh, and uh, that was a story um, that we're not going to cover. Who else had a go? Who else had a go at Seb? Then we've got 
two 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 renter gobs. Is Jacques Villeneuve going to go as well? Because he's the only one left. Not that I've seen. Oh no no no, no no. What about uh, what about your favourite your favourite Italian accent? Ah, oh, Flavio. Flavio. Uh, Flavio must have had some yeah, yeah, good, I think Flavio would be surely Flavio is still only talking about Alonso this uh, in the uh-huh. season. True. Good point. Uh, we're going to get some sprint races. Sorry, not races. Some sprints. Qualifying. Sprint qualifying. Is that what no it's going to be called? Doesn't count as a win. Um, does it count as a pole? Or does no. the, or does the no. qualifying for the sprint? So the qualifying sprint qualifying. pole counts. That's what they're yeah. saying to the record books. That's going to count right. as a pole. It's pointless. I don't know what they're doing. No, no, there's for. points for it. I, I well, saw there was a point. point. Excellent point. It's not pointless. However, it is pointless but as well as the uh, points you're they're also getting half a million dollars uh to take part right for, yes for damage so i'm not quite sure how they've all employed andrew the treasurers but apart from that um yeah it's a way of making more money now, that, now obviously guessing it's not, not part of the, it's not part of the cost cap well they it oh. is part of the cost cap but they've uh, managed to increase the cost cap by half a million dollars so it's not part of the cost cap is that half a million dollars per race no, no for the three Right, okay. Well, because one of them isn't going to happen because it's in Brazil, and no one's going to Brazil ever. Canada is the other one, and we've just been talking about things not happening in Canada. Yeah, no, the Silverstone race. Paul Ricard was one, wasn't the it? Car off. No, hmm? Silverstone. Silverstone. I thought they were talking about yeah, doing it at Paul Ricard no, now. No, it's Silverstone, Monza. Don't argue and with Nick. It was Silverstone, Monza, and. Uh, Brazil, uh, Motodrome and Carlos Bache, but that's that's still on at the moment. But as anyone who's reading the news will know, Brazil is really not likely to be welcoming anyone in the near future, um, even back in October. So, yeah, they'll, they'll get the first two away. And that's why they've chosen Monza, because Monza is not a good track for overtaking. <laughs> no. Uh, oh, I know. Sorry, Karen. I've just realised why they've chosen those three tracks. Because? They get a crowd on Saturdays. Mm. And they wouldn't normally. And a lot of the other tracks don't get a crowd Saturdays. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Silverstone, you get a crowd on Saturday. Monza, yeah. you get a crowd every day. Yeah. And Brazil, Brazil. they turn up. Yeah. Monza, you get a crowd uh, on a Every Wednesday. man and his dog turns up at Brazil, which has been a problem in, he's put in the past. If, um... It has, yes. Dogs have to be very careful when they turn up. Turn up before the event, not going to turn up during the event, ushered away to, 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 to a rescue centre. <laughs> Rescue centre, lovely. <sighs> no, 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 no. The, when, 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 the, when the teams are there, they go to rescue centres and they get adopted by other members of the team. Get there two days earlier. There's a kind of more of a gun-based round-up strategy. Mm. Uh, Mugens Tamiki Najiri won the opening round of the Super Formula Championship. Starting from pole, he was passed off the line by Toshiki Oyu, but uh, recaptured the lead on lap 10. And Nirai Fukuzumi finished third behind Oyu with Ryo Harakawa fourth. He started oh. seventh on the grid. Good. That was at Fuji. Yeah. Uh, Moto G- any, uh, Japanese drivers? Moto GP. Mm, don't know. Uh, we need to talk about. Yes. Twas good. Now we've done Moto Three and Moto Two with Dex in the first hour, Excellent. and we were Dex could... that Moto Three, didn't we? Yeah, uh, it, uh, but it, we had a good chat about that and mo- a bit about Moto Two. Uh, unfortunately, Dex. Texas had to go in and actually do stuff in, re- in real life. So Dex did question back. whether the um, uh, Formula 2 and Formula 3 in uh, on the route to Formula 1 was as good as uh, Moto3 and Moto2 on the route to MotoGP. Uh, and no. 16 of the last 20 Formula 2 champions have made it to Formula 1. Not straight away, though. 
When was the last person who, as a champion, moved uh, uh, straight from uh, before this year, before Schumacher? That would have been uh, George Russell two years ago, and before that it was Charles Leclerc, and before that it was Pierre Gasly, and before that it was Stoffel van Dorn, and before that it was Jolien Palmer. Well, no, 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 no. Pierre Gasly had a year off in between. Yeah, exactly. He went and did Super Formula, didn't he, to get the... But but, but, but he couldn't finish it, I think. Anyway, yes, there wasn't the space from it initially. He had a year off doing other stuff. I thought his Super Formula year was while he was doing Formula One, and he did them... No, 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 no. That was no, when was they had that clashing very, event very, and he couldn't win Super very, Formula very because he had to go to the Formula year. 1. Oh, hang on. It's a very confused year. Very good point. Yeah, it's been Brendan came in and came. Yeah, actually, who knows? I, I, Toro Rosso drivers, you know, well, they're run by Helmut Marco, which is why it's just confusing rubbish, isn't it, really? So, so, since, so since 2014, only one F2 or GP2 champion hasn't made it to F1. That was yes, Nick de Vries. Nick de Vries. And, he's had a, and he's doing rather well in two other championships. So, you know. Gasly and Van Dorn didn't make it in the following season, but made it eventually. Thank you, Matthew Hindman. I think Gasly that. did well, make it the following season, but not at the start of the following season. Mm. Might be right. Might be right. Okay, anyway, anyway moving yes, on. it works quite well. Yeah. MotoGP. Oh, MotoGP. Yes. Uh... <sighs> I quite enjoyed it. Mortal GP just looked like um, Mortal Three on steroids for most of the race. Oh, yeah, I mean it's um, it was was it the closest ever top ten, the closest ever top fifteen, and you know it's a as as thank you to some information you actually sent over to me earlier today, John. It it is as I thought, it's become a, a tire limited race. So after mm. moaning about Pirelli for all those years, it's now the same with Michelin. They have produced a tire which can only go so fast and, and only go so fast in certain ways. And they've managed to level the playing field <laughs> with mm. the tyre, which is why you see qualifying um, showing no semblance of what the actual race looks like. I, I, I actually, if that's what we get, I, I'm not really that worried about that. Um, Matt Oxley, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to Motorsport Magazine. It's uh, there are two. It's a two-part article where he's talked to pretty much everybody in the Grand Prix paddock. Um, anonymously, so there was no fear of retribution. It's a really good article, and it doesn't. It it's not a criticism of Michelin, but it, it's a deep dive into where we are, particularly with the asymmetric tyres that I think only KTM used at the weekend. Yes. Uh, so they've been yeah. toiling around for ten days with a bike that didn't work, and they put the asymmetric tyre on at the front, which was the medium, and all of a sudden it transformed the bike in the race. No, they couldn't get they couldn't get the soft to last. They're on a high nothing. They didn't like the medium that much, but it last last year which meant they actually get to the end of the race mm. i mean the interesting thing i thought actually was this analysis about something which i hadn't really noticed but it's it, now you know, when you read things and they become very very obvious yes um about the difference between the bridgestone tires and the michelin ones is the bridgestone ones were was a great front not so good rear whereas yeah. the michelin is a great rear not so good front which means it's gone from high side to low side and as any motorcycle will tell you i'll take a low side any day which i'll have a low side bob over over yeah over a high side have you done both after both i've only well i've done low low goodness knows what the hell happened uh and no i've never been properly flicked off actually i i high sided my rf 900 six days into my ownership of it when it was going back for its intermediate service after 300 miles and when I say I high-sided it, I I was six feet off the ground. Ouch! When I high-sided it on the way back to the Suzuki dealer for the and, and we and we delivered it. And you just go, yeah. It was like when I left the, the showroom. It's a bit, yeah, the finish is a bit poor. God. 
Do you know the worst part of any bike crash? Is the worst part of a low side is just falling off and making sure you stay away from the bike and your hands don't get caught in anything. I nearly broke all my fingers getting them stuck behind the brake lever before the brake lever just smashed. That was on a JSX 750. Um, just caught a bit of gravel on the middle of the road with my front tyre up by Derwent Reservoir, actually. And actually, the road is on... Um, Horizon, Forza Horizon, the bit of road where I came off, which is quite funny. It's absolutely spot on as well. When I high-sided it, it's not just the fact that you're flying through the air thinking, this is going to hurt. It's the fact that you can hear your bike going down the road going, oh, God, that's all the plastics. That's going to be expensive. Can't tell you what was the worst. Probably dislocated my shoulder when I landed, I think. That would be the worst. Mm. Once you've dislocated the shoulder, as you well know, it never really yeah, feels yeah, the don't same, talk does about it? it? Don't talk about it. I okay. can't even talk about it. All right. <laughs> the only thing I'm screaming about. I mean, I'm on one arm, not the other arm. Okay. Um, so let, let's talk. Let's talk. Um, that was a segue, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> so let, let's talk about MotoGP then. Um, we, we've talked about uh, John McPhee's uh, reaction to yes. in, in Moto3. He's, 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 gonna, and, yes. and he's, he's got. He's got a, a a penalty for that. What about what was that any better or worse then than Jack Miller and Johan Mir's feud? Where uh, there wasn't a feud, there wasn't a feud involved. It was just re- it was just retaliation. There was no feud. Should that be penalised? Um, I think that he Jack Miller was very very silly, and yes, he should have had something. I don't know, five-place grid penalty or something for the next race. They should have just dealt with it because he was deliberate. He ran into the side of someone down the straight at probably 110, 120 miles an hour at that point. And it's just dumb. Even if you think you're clever, you can stay on. Mm. Um, you know, yes, he was upset because Joe Mir had overtaken him in a relatively aggressive way. Well, let's be honest about this, Mr. Miller. If you're riding a rocket ship, then people have to get past you in the corners. Um, and get well, ahead of you enough well, before you let this blast past. Again, though, in a very Ralph Schumacher way... Um, kettle black calling um mr miller is is not known for for after you claude nor after you sebastian is he really no i mean i don't, I don't really want to have too i think i too much of a go at jack he said that, yeah i don't but, think he's a no i'm not saying he's a dirty rider okay, but, but he's a he forceful just, he, rider he, he got himself a bit red misty which he didn't need to and things were still fine if he lost a place if he hadn't hit uh yeah he would have gone past him very easily down the straight uh yeah. with his extra goodness knows how many horsepower um, but yeah, I mean, I don't remember. I, it was a really, really good ended race. up in ninth up. position, so he ends yeah, up in ninth position, and, uh, and, and Mia ended up in sixth, and he's and he's off for arm pump surgery. Yeah, yeah. the arm pump. So it's not great. For Jack's not having a great start to his works career. In fact, in fairness, you don't really want to be on the works Ducati, do you? You want to be on the Pramac Ducati because that's well, a quick it, one. Didn't we <laughs> say that in our preview? Funny I know, enough. So makes a difference, you see. Ah, well. It's very interesting, isn't it? And uh, something that's never happened in the current era, and you've got to go back to 19... On the Reams... Uh, 1954, on the Reams road circuit to happen to have happened in the top class ever. French one, too. Yes. Do you know who the two riders no. were? No. No idea. I bet Tim does. I've no idea. I just made up a number there, and you you said it. So, was it Giacomo Agostini? No, he's Italian. Oh, that's true. Yes, <laughs> he did say French. <laughs> anyway, uh, answers on the Twitter feed, please. Uh, <laughs> 
No, I thought, I thought Quattararo um, drove uh, rode really, really well. I mean, you, that was that point, was it? About, was it about 10 laps in when the two Yamahas were ninth and 10th? And you thought, well, that's not going to go very well. Um, but they just kind of managed to, well, use their tyres better and, and get through by, by pure handling prowess, which is in fact what you would normally expect the, the Suzuki to do based on last year's uh, running. And then just get enough of a lead where they wouldn't go up on them, but they would get blasted past down the straight. But the, that straight line speed advantage of the Ducati is just ridiculous. I mean, it must be lovely if you're a big Ducati fan, but it just seems well, this is just is it? How have you got that much quicker? Pierre you, Monnerie I mean, and Jacques Collot, by the way, were the two Frenchmen. I just ah, kind of that's why you, know, you sent me a note I'm, earlier saying remember those two names for later. That's why I thought you would know because <sighs> I. I Teed it up for it earlier on, but never mind. Mm. Uh, I, I, I don't know what the answer is for Ducati. I think that circuit in particular, I mean, 220, 225 miles an hour, they've clearly cleaned up the aero. We talked about that in the preview. If you haven't heard the preview, go and listen to the MotoGP preview because I'm actually feeling quite smug about it. Not from necessarily what I said, but from what Dex and uh, Nick said. And, and it, it, it really set me up for for the season. Um, the Ducati's been very clever with their, their aero. Uh, and a Ducati won um, with Johan Zarco uh, ahead of a much maturing Fabio Quattararo. I said when we talked Moto2 and Moto3 um, about the brilliant ride in, in three that I didn't want the lad to burn out like Zarko did. Twice a Moto2 champion and pretty much all... In fact, he walked away, didn't he? He walked away halfway through the season and maybe realised, you know, maybe it's that old saying, isn't it? You don't know what you've got till you've lost it. He's come back, uh, rejuvenated, ridden well, got on the Premac bike, again, managed differently, uh, Nick, which is what we've been seeing. And... Is is the is the Renaissance complete for Zarko? Well, he said he came back, and you know, we got we got some interesting non you know ubiquitous um, Ducati tracks, and then hopefully with, we will see KTM move back to the four. I was very impressed by Alicia Spargo. I know he faded towards the end, but he was only about four three seconds off the lead, uh, and that Aprilia is looking very good, which makes you kind of think that you might see Dovi on one before the end of the season, especially since Salvador is looking very much out of his depth in the other Aprilia. But this is not, as it's not a dog, but actually a competitive bike, it looks like. I think that uh, Dovi will come back and do some, oh, wild cars, as they call them. Yeah. Uh, Suzuki's fifth and sixth. I thought there was sensible rides from Rins and Mia on, uh, not, they weren't quite as good as they were uh, last weekend or the previous weekend. Um, everybody's moved forward. Banyaya in fourth. Vinales, really good ride to third behind Quattararo. Uh, and as we said, Johan Yarko. You've, you've got the wrong results there, John. I'm on, uh, that's the world standings, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, was, my apologies. Sorry, Maverick was fifth. Uh, Rins was fourth, Jorge yeah. Martin was third, Zarco was second, and Quateraro was first. Thank but you. yeah, Zarco leads the, the championship. You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, of course, the big question is: is the is the Spanish elephant in the room going to come back for the next round? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right, we've got a lot to fit in in the next six minutes. Tim, where next? Uh, let's talk about LMP2 being slowed down briefly. Oh, again? my good, my, my. We've had goodness. more tweets since the last uh, hour when we talked about this, Nick. Or do you mean yeah, again, well, as in since last time they 
did it years ago. Well, I've already, you know, because speaking of someone's been driving these slowed down one for a while uh, in the virtual world. Yeah, I, I thought they're going to be slowed down again. They're taking another 20, 20 horsepower, 20 kilowatts. They're taking. Uh, oh, I can't remember. So it's about 2020. It's, it's, it's about 25 horsepower. They're making them run low downforce everywhere, aren't they? Simon Hoff says, looking for a positive view. Will the restrictions on slowing LMP2s give some movement to aero and tyre designers to look at increasing corner speeds? Uh, technology help claw back over the future seasons. It could energise new thinking. Simon, I love that positivity. This is always... This is only because they are... I think they are worried about the weight of the LMH cars, whether they are LMDH or particularly LMH hypercars, um, and safety on the tracks. They are, what, the 13, 40 kilos or something. They are heavy, heavy things, and they don't want them to go much quicker in a straight line. So it's about lap times, not just slowing them down, Simon. And i, I tell you who I feel sorry. There's, there's two sets of people I feel sorry for in this, Nick. Obviously... The P2 runners who are running the current cars, getting slowed down again, all that data changes. Um, obviously, new P2s coming soon, so that can be that can be addressed at source. I actually feel sorry for people like Glickenhaus and Toyota and everybody else who are committing to the new regs because it makes it look like their cars aren't any good. And I'm not sure that's fair. I mean, Glickenhaus are very um, vociferous in calling out other manufacturers for going to LMDH, which is effectively a P2 car. Mm. But it appears that a standard P2 car is going to be quicker or too close to being quicker than their car. And, And that can't be good for them and can't be good for the class. Well, no, I mean, it's interesting because this obviously is all on uh, limited information, which I'd assume to be um, information that Toyota have given them about what they can do around Portimao. Um, the, the other issue is, I think the other bit, problem is going to be is that P2 is obviously getting slower. It means they're going to get closer to GTEs. It means it's going to be hard to get past the GTEs. It means there's going to be more incidents between the GTEs and the P2s. Mm. And this, to me, is another nail in the coffin of GTE and another Great. Uh, resurrection for GT3 because it gives you a lovely extra, what, nope. close round nope. six, seven seconds extra limit. No. Nope. No GT3s in the current format at Le Mans, ever, 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 ever. Really? No, because... Well, when when they're GTD Pro in in IMSA and everyone sees them working and not costing much money. uh, The problem is, as soon as you give a manufacturer Le Mans, they will build Le Mans specials because there's no technical regulations as such in in current form of GT3. And what will happen is that either won't make them available at the private ears or the cost will spiral out of control so that private ears can't afford them. And it will kill GT3 as a global category. And that is not what you want to happen. Now, there is a proposal in hand for new GT3, which will have some technical regulations, um, which might work. But then effectively, that's not really GT3, is it? Because GT3 is just run what you brung. And yeah, but if you, sure, I understand what you're saying, John, but the whole point about GT3 is balance. If you build a superstar super vehicle, it doesn't matter if you've been a billion pounds, it'll get balanced back to your standard Audi. It's Le Mans. It's Le Mans. People will spend that money to no, find fractions. Sure. To find fractions, to have a quick change rear end, to have an engine that you can drop out half of the way through the race. I don't know, okay, that's not allowed, but the, the, they'll, they will find ways to spend the money. And besides but, which, none it, of the manufacturers who currently produce GT3s want them to go to Le Mans. 
That's the key point. Not the current form of GT3s. Okay, I just think that there is going to be uh, this. This people, unless they, well, they're going to need to slow GTEs down because they need to get. You know, it's, it's GTEs got very, a limited lifespan, hasn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, the P2s, you know, find it difficult to get past them because where they're making their speed, which is in the middle, which is downforce areas in the middle of corners, isn't a very good place for passing cars. Why do we <laughs> so, need GTEs at the moment? I'm playing devil's advocate. There were plenty of times in the uh, 1980s when there were three or four GT cars, none of which were proper GT. But if you're not going to have GT, if you're not going to have GT3s and you need to GT cars, they need to have P3 so you get a gentleman in. Because the whole point about um, Le Mans P2, is P2 Pro and mm, Possibly, I think. Yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing. I think this is, this is a much bigger subject. I, yeah. I don't know what. And I think I'm very surprised. Just to finish this off, they've slowed the P2s down before we've even had a race. Okay, sorry, doubly slowed them down before we've had a race. I, I, well. They're looking at data, aren't they? That's a simple. Hey, how much? Listen, if they're worried about the P2 pace, how good must Rebellion be feeling now with an old uh, LMP1 car? They must be thinking, oh, we must be in with a shot here. Well, until they put 700 kilograms on it, yeah. Yeah, well, (laughs) there you go. Time for one more story from Tim if he wants to. Oh, do you want to talk about tomorrow as well? Uh, I will in a moment. Uh, But how does this sound as a calendar? Hmm. Oh, Start at uh, WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. <laughs> yes. Then you go on yeah. to Fuji and then Suzuka right, yeah. on back to back weekends. Yeah. Then the Nürburgring. It doesn't say what version of the Nürburgring. I assume it means Nordschleife. GP, surely. Then the Autodromo Jose Carlos Pache. Yeah. Then the Rally Sardinia stages. Mm-hmm. Right. And then Mount Panorama. Did this come out on April the 1st, by any chance? No, it came out on April the 5th. Uh, right. 6th, even. It's a fantasy calendar for somebody. This Is, is it actual... a running race? Cycling? This is an actual is calendar. It, I'm so rich race. This is, to, this is Toyota. Uh, this is right. to find the fastest Toyota Gazoo racing driver. Oh, and really? it's called the Toyota Gazoo Racing GT Cup. So these are GT86s? Well, no, because they run different cars at each event. So, oh, are you kidding me? The GR Supra at the first round, the GR Yaris at the second round, the SF19, which is a super formula car, at uh, right. the third round, the 2000 wow. GT at the Nürburgring, the Supra RC in Brazil, the Yaris, obviously, on the Sardinian Rally, the GR86 uh-huh. at Mount Panorama. Sign me up. How many people are doing that? Well, let's find out, because this is not real. This is in Gran Turismo. So anyone can take part. Still sign me up. I might have a chance with that. (laughs) Uh, You need a PS4 or PS5? Yeah, you've got got an Xbox, haven't you? I've got got PS3. I've got further than PS3. They've been unplugged for... I I was explaining to someone earlier on... That I unplugged my all my computers and gaming consoles at the start of lockdown because um, Otherwise I you'd do possibly nothing, would never have seen the daylight. Mm. Yes, exactly. I thought I thought, you, I, I thought you unplugged it because you wanted an acoustic PlayStation. An acoustic <laughs> play. No, I, 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 you know what? I haven't even played my guitars as much as I want. I, I pulled the guitar, I pulled the acoustic out the the electroacoustic out the other night, the old Washburn, and I haven't had the Schecter out for far too long. Maybe I'll do that later. This. 
this week. Uh, the, news hang on. on. The on. top 24 uh, drivers across those seven events will then be invited to the uh, Toyota Gazoo Racing GT Cup final in December. And that, that will real? be... That will be based on the best nine drivers from the Europe, uh, Middle East and Africa section, three from North America, three from South and Central America, four from Asia, and one from Australia or New Zealand, plus four chosen uh, from anywhere at all. Uh, And for more information about all things sim-related, listen to the SimCast. Ah, see what you did there. See what you caught. On RS1 tomorrow at 8pm. And I did that story because they haven't told me what's in tomorrow night's show. But it will be Lewis and Ben. (laughs) And uh, following that at 9 o'clock, it will be uh, Shebex and Creelsey for On The Grid. Um, Big meeting in Bathurst at the weekend. Shane Van Gisbergen wins again in a different uh, car. Well, um, he... He didn't. He, he's lost his his hundred percent record, but yes. Um, but you can still say that every car that he's been driving at the finish of a race this year, in whatever category, he has won. Yes. Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. Um, very good, actually. Uh, Creelsey and the team did a great job uh, down there. Thoroughly uh, enjoyed the. YouTube coverage. Shame there wasn't an uh, uh, proper national feed for the six hours, but um, understand. And then tomorrow uh, night, later up. on, it's 11.30. Oh, yeah. oh, yes, yes. It's the IMSA iRacing Pro Series returning for 2021. Uh, uh, and there's a number of IMSA sponsors for that, but I think keeping Nick and I up going will be uh, uh, Sacred Coffee, I think, at that time of the night, won't it, Nick? Oh no, I've got. To, I, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I've got a busy day. I've got some things to do. I've got to get a bit of practicing just to give you some feedback on what the P, on what the uh, LN, uh, the GTLMs are doing. Because I've been driven a GTLM recently around the Sebring, uh, and then I'll be I'll be wired for it by then. And I'd be going, oh, I can do that. Mm. <laughs> a card, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nick Tandy, he's still on his rig now. He's just tweeted me uh, about about that. Thank you to Nick for that tonight, and thank you for all the kind words for uh, Nick Tandy and. Uh, Go and, go and look him up, by the way, on uh, the tweetage. Um, he's at Nick Tandy R, I think, isn't he? Yes, at Nick Tandy R. There is some footage of the armour chassis with the protoform C at our body on a bit of closed road that he was talking about. There is some footage on there. It is extraordinary. The last time... I experienced an electric car like that. I was looking at Roman Dumas starting his run on Pikes Peak. You don't realise how much noise air air makes when it's being moved by something going at those kind of speeds. And a a one-seventh car doing real-world 91 miles an hour, Nick, is doing scale speed of? Uh, 637. Yes. And that's exactly what it sounded like. It sounded like Thrust SSC on the desert. It was quite extraordinary. So go and have a look and a listen uh, to that. Thank you for all your contributions tonight. Also to Dex and to Nick. Tim Gray was our executive producer up in London. And the responsible adult was most definitely Eve Hewitt. I'm John Hindoff. Thanks for joining us tonight. Really... uh, 
really uh, enjoyed tonight's show. Final word, by the way, about the calendar change for IMSA to uh, July 2nd. Uh, SCCA weekend on the on the Saturday and Sunday. Uh, they have track time on Saturday, which is why IMSA running Friday uh, and IMSA saying thank you to uh, SCCA for sharing the weekend. So that's another good reason of why that is a single day event effectively on the Friday. When we get a schedule for that, you'll see it up on IMSA.com, which is where we'll be tomorrow night for round one of three of the IMSA Pro Series. It's Sebring. It's two classes. There are 34 top drivers and a few that you might not have expected in that. That'll be Nick and me, John Hindhoff. Uh, Until then, we'll say goodnight. God bless. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your Thursday evening or whatever time you're listening to us on the archive at www.radio-show.co. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.